This is the Art of Darkness podcast with Kevin Kautzman and Brad Kelly. We're a couple of very online writers interested in the dark side of what drives creative people to create against all odds. This show is about art and the people who make it, what it costs them, and what it takes to bring something unique and impactful into the world. Each episode, we excavate the life and work of an artist you might think you know. Don't worry, they're all safely dead. On every episode, we try and find out just what the hell was wrong with them and how they worked through their darkness to create something that lives on after them and continues to move culture. Find us online at artofdarkpod.com and on Twitter at artofdarkpod. got a fun one for you. This is our second watch along for Art of Darkness, which is an indulgence that we grant ourselves. It's not a core episode. It's a dark room episode. And frankly, this episode hangs loose on its own. We haven't done uh, Robert Shaw yet. Although I think, Brad, this is going to kind of demand that we we pick Shaw up at some point. That would be a good episode. Yes. Yeah. Yes, and we're joined by hitherto Blauergeist, friend of, the sh- friend of the show who did the Disney episode with us, Jacob Everett. Jacob, how are you? Hey, what's up, guys? I'm good. Hey, and one of the reasons I want to point out, one of the reasons I think this is coming together, among other things, is Jacob runs, for people who don't know, they, who, people probably do know if they're listening to this, Jacob runs Apocalypse Confidential. Uh, maybe the most exciting literary journal going right now. And this summer, they are doing Summer of the Shark. I don't know, Jacob, yeah. you want to tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, we're doing uh, our special for this summer is Summer of the Shark. Um, you know, just because, you know, in our editorial team chat, I think it was actually Dawson who, like, just randomly sort of was like, man, we should do, like, a Shark Week special, like, early on <laughs> in the year when we were just sort of getting year two going. You know, because, you know, growing up, Shark Week has always loomed large. And oh, yeah. then, you know, just sharks in general and, you know, Jaws especially. And, you know, sharks are just such, like, a kind of, like, pivotal creature in you know popular culture and mythology and all that stuff and there's like you know you have like all kind like i actually have a book near me that's like sort of like selections from old men's pulp pulp magazines featuring sharks so there's always been this cultural fascination with sharks it's like a guy fighting it on the front probably like yeah exactly you know with like a (laughs) like a diver's knife or something like that and so it just seemed like a cool sort of out of the box because like our whole kind of, you know, our, you know, wheelhouse as it were, our wheelhouse is sort of like a cult and underworld kind of stuff. And it just like seemed like a cool sort of out of the box idea to like, basically what is like the sort of apocalypse confidential, like vision of the shark. Yeah. And I love so, that. I love yeah. That. Yeah, that should be that should be right. cool, man. When so when is submit when are submissions due and when oh, is yeah. this edition coming out, you think? Right. So submissions are due uh July thirty first, like you know, end of day, whatever that means for you. We're not gonna be like, oh, actually you sent it to us at <laughs> well uh twelve oh one August first. So you're we're scrapping it. Right. Um submissions due July thirty-first. And then we're going to have it out uh, for everyone's edification and horror 
on August uh, 19th, Friday. Oh, nice. Hey, okay. that's, that's my yeah, birthday. Great. All right. Hey, All right. very uh, cool. Your, it'll be Kevin. our birthday present for you. There you go. All um, right, right on. Nice. Yeah, that's you know, awesome. we're going for that kind of like, you know, like that sort of like tail end of summer. Everyone's all hot and sweaty and like tired from the sun. Mm-hmm. And, you know, maybe had a few brews and you're on the beach and you decide to go for a swim to cool off. And then you're, you know, you're just kind of like lazily sort of treading water. And then suddenly you feel a tug on your foot and then the water around you turns red. Uh, and that's so the vibe we're doing. That's so, that's so unsettling. It really is, man. Maybe I don't know if it's just growing up with this movie or what, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Any water-based attacks are terrifying. Because you're, you're SOL and, you know, because it's like if you're getting attacked, you know, by a bear or something, which is horrible, yeah. at yeah. least you're on land. Yeah. But if you get attacked by a shark or, you know, barracuda or something, you know. You're, you know, you're doubly, you know, SOL. I don't know if we can swear on this podcast. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, it's fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're, yeah, dub- you, you, you're doubly yeah. fucked on in the water because <laughs> not only are you bleeding out and your guts are uh, everywhere, but you're, you know, you're drowning too. Yeah, you and you can't move effectively out there. You're like a baby. Like you don't, you don't got, yeah, you don't have any business out there to begin with. So, yeah. Yeah, especially if you have you've had your leg torn off. There was a tweet earlier that uh, from an account called Ticklish Thug at Prince Coochie, and the tweet is a banger. It says, "Shark Week is the white man's Ramadan." <laughs> I, don't I don't even really know what that means, but yeah, I don't either. But it's true. Uh, that, it's true. It just, it just feels true. It feels right. Uh, and okay, and so Art of Darkness is a podcast where we typically do uh, profiles of artists. This is a standalone episode where, again, we're going to indulge ourselves. Watch one of my very favorite movies, probably my favorite film uh if if not like the film that i respect the most at least like just my absolute favorite i grew up on this film i've seen it 50 times uh and we always do 30 minutes at ish after each episode for our patreon subscribers patreon.com slash art of dark pod uh we call those after dark and if you want to listen to that this uh episode i'm going to read from the Jaws log from Carl Gottlieb, who is an actor in the in the movie, had a small part. He he initially had a bigger part, but it, it ended up getting cut. It's that sequence where they go find Ben Gartner's boat, and it was going to be uh, during the day, and he was in the scene and falls overboard, but they ended up scrapping him. Uh, he also um, was a screenwriter on the uh, on the film. He punched up some of the early drafts to add a little more humor, and I'm going to read. Uh, from this book, at least one chapter uh, about how the 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 rights to the book were initially secured. And this guy is a really, really funny kind of classic Hollywood writer. We'll probably also talk a little bit about, uh, you know, kind of the vibe from the movie. And the idea behind this is we want to make this interesting for you, whether or not you have the movie screening in front of you. Uh, but if you want to listen to it, watching the film, this might be a fun way to do it. Uh, but, you know, people know this movie so well that I, I also think like in the theater of your mind, you're probably not going to have any trouble uh, imagining, you know, the scenes as we go through here. Uh, what do you think, boys? Should we just, uh, should we kick it off? Let's do yeah, it. Yeah, let's do it. Um, let I have, let her rip. I have this on, uh, so I have this on, by the way, I have this on Amazon and there's something called X-Ray where there's like 
trivia and bits and oh, yeah. bobs. I so kind of just... like it. I hated X-Ray at first, but I kind of like it. Well, I think for this purpose, it might give us something to kind of like riff off. So uh, let's let's go three, two, one, and press play. Sometimes things are out of sync. So initially, we'll kind of like, we'll find a yeah. little moment where it's like, okay, are we all in sync? So ready? Let's go. Three, two, one. Doo-doo. <laughs> Doo-doo. So here's some general trivia. Several decades after the film's release, Lee Farrow, who played Mrs. Kintner, walked into a seafood restaurant and noticed that the menu had an Alex Kintner sandwich. She commented that she had played his mother so many years before, and that it turned out that uh, Alex Kintner was there. <laughs> oh, they, and it was like they they embraced and everything. And oh wow, that's like his that's like his restaurant. Was wow. was he eaten by a shark in the movie? Is he eaten? Yes, by a shark? yeah. He's the he's the little boy who's uh, okay. Who's eaten. Yeah, he's okay. the boy. I think, what is it, the second victim? Okay. Uh, yeah. Yeah, so I've got you. Yep. Universal. What am I seeing? Let's yeah, go. Oh, man. I mean, and this is, Universal was sort of the last studio standing outside of Disney. Um, oh, is that right? Yeah. Okay, I got a Zanuck Brown, Brown production. Okay, I, yeah, press pause. Too. Press pause. Pause. Oh, God. And I will <laughs> wait until I got it. Okay, okay, okay. Here we go. I don't have got it like yet. Three leads. I'm always so out of whack. I'm sorry, you... Jacob. Did you say you had the three leads? Yeah. Is that where you're paused? Yeah. Okay. All right. Okay. So let's let's go go to that, and then we'll count. Roy Robert Richard. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. okay. I'm, I'm there. Look, even the even the <laughs> fonts here. <laughs> Give yeah, me. that font has always been very cool. Uh, it just it it's like hits classic, me. like seventies. Yeah, it hits mm-hmm. me right in the feels. Yeah, and of course, sure. this is based on a, a best-selling novel. All right, let's go on. On, uh, I'm going to count us down. Ready? Three, two, one, go. All right, All right. the three: Roy Scheider, Robert Shaw, Richard Dreyf- Dreyfus. I, I like wow. that Robert Shaw is front and center on that, actually. Yeah. Mm, mm. Deservedly. Yeah. Yes. Oh, of course. Yeah, what a, what a fabulous introduction, too. You start out, and of course, Lorraine uh, Gary, who's amazing. You've got, and Murray Hamilton. Who doesn't yeah. love the mayor? Oh, that's okay. <laughs> okay. So you're, good. You're, good. you're the mayor of Shark City. <laughs> I, mean, I love look, in this. Oh, yes. man. General trivia, the average summer tourist population of Martha's Vineyard before the film was released was approximately 5,000 people. After it came out, the population skyrocketed to 15,000. That's hilarious. You're talking about his suits, uh, Jacob? Yeah, I guess love Mayor Vaughn, uh, Murray Hamilton's suits, like that one jacket with like the anchors on it. (laughs) It's so so good. (laughs) He's so sleazy. It's it's wonderful, and then but then he has that moment of pathos that comes where he's like, you know, Martin, my kids were on that beach too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just like, oh man. And then we have these these. uh, Of course, there's this like long haired hippie thing going on. Well, this is like the slasher movie trope, right? Hundred percent. There's like a little bit of like these kids might deserve it, kind of. (laughs) Yeah, and she (laughs) kind of looks. She kind of looks like. Sally Hardesty in Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Yes, yeah, she does. No. I've always thought that these, whatever these are, this fencing, this fencing is reminiscent of 
both like film stock, but also like sh- the, the teeth of the shark. I think yeah. that there's, I think that there are things operating at multiple levels. You know, you see a little bit of red there, kind of a red, uh, like it, it, around the campfire, and I don't think we see red uh, in much of the rest of the film. It's just not there outside of the blood in the outside water. Color, yeah. Brad, you're always talking about color in Breaking yeah. Bad, right? Oh, yeah, color, yeah. Color in Jaws is massive. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and so we got these like these kind of like broken, this weird kind of fencing. What is that? Is it is it to like? I don't even know what it is. I, I think it a, used yeah. to be like private, not privacy fence, but just boundary, some kind of boundary fence. Previously, right? I mean, and then let's talk about what this really is, right? So here we here we have a, a promiscuous young woman mm-hmm. volunteering her, herself to who we assume is a, a stranger, mm-hmm. and now they're going to go skinny dipping. Right, she does this great move in the water. That's impressive, actually. I don't know exactly. She how you was do that. a, if I recall correctly, she was a stunt woman. Okay, and, she, and mainly, and like mainly because she was like one of the, and she was hired because she was one of them who's like, yeah, I'll get naked, and ah. so they're like, all right, you're hired, you're hired. <laughs> I don't, I don't care. <laughs> did did she do? I don't. Did she do the screaming in the studio, or was it someone else who did the screaming? I can't recall. There's a good documentary that comes with the film. Uh, yeah. Apparently, the this this fellow was uh, captured through local auditions. Uh, this this guy. No, the he, teenager. Uh, yeah. Yeah. He he became a production assistant. Yeah. Later later after that, this is horrifying. It is. This and is she's like, like, it's pure terror and she she starts getting dragged around and like they apparently they had her like on some rigs like you know sort yeah. of like just underwater that they would like pull her with and like apparently yeah. they did cause real discomfort and pain so <laughs> oh i bet it so doesn't look- some of that uh, screaming it's probably method acting yeah and yeah. then they use that same rigging later in the show movie showgirls and the pool sex scene i believe are you serious? <laughs> I just made that up. But it looks <laughs> but it looks almost the same as this. If you've ever seen Showgirls, the pool sex scene. Oof. <laughs> right. Yeah. She was uh as well as moving her about in the water, the frame she was strapped into was breaking her ribs. Oh my in a God. radio interview, she denied being injured. And of course, this is the ultimate whiskey dick. This is like oh, yeah. male, this male has just been completely cuckolded in the, the yeah. most horrific fashion yeah shark stole yeah. his girl yeah this the shark yeah. stole his girl and here comes brody and brody is a hundred percent hung over here he has oh, yeah. a hangover his his drinking is uh an important part of the film mm. uh yeah, he, it's like he's like a his character has grown more and more fascinating because like at first he just you know, first time watched it, and that'd be maybe a cool thing to go over in a bit, like when we first saw Jaws, oh, yeah. Yeah. is like, first time seeing this like in kindergarten, like on AMC or something, he just is like the sort of hero cop. But as, you know, you watch it, you know, 50 times over the course of your life, like he becomes more and more complex. Like he's this like kind of a sissy in a lot of ways. Like he's this like cosmopolitan, like city cop, Who's like? Yeah, he he already booze bag, and like he just it's mm-hmm. kind of like he comes to Amity just to basically have like a vacation job, 
Right. And, and he's already he's already on his pension. He's already on his pension yeah. is, I think, the implication. Yeah. And, yeah. And, he, and he's here and this should be super easy. There are no murders. He's here yeah. to coast uh, and to be the boss, too. I don't think he was, yeah. you know, back in the city. He was he was the chief or the boss. Right. Uh I, fun fact, that dog that you meet at the beginning, that was Steven Spielberg's dog. Mm. <laughs> Keeping that budget, you know, anywhere, anywhere you can get a penny on that budget. Oh, especially in this film. Yeah. Because the, the first two acts of this film are straight ahead filmmaking, right? Mm-hmm. It's yep. the, the third act is where they broke ground and did uh, extraordinary when you, things. When you start seeing the actual animatronic shark and stuff, right? Yeah. And just yeah. filming on the water. Right, right, right. I mean, and when we get there, you can sort of imagine it. So now yellow comes into play here and starts mm-hmm. to become an important color. You do have a little bit of red in his uh, sirens. Yeah. Uh, but you, red is so um, infrequently used in the film. It's very, uh, it's intentional. Hmm. Um, yeah, and, and Jacob, uh, Brody's character, again, yeah, like you say, he's just, as you're, when you're a kid, he's just this heroic, uh, there's more yellow. He, mm-hmm. And that's orange. That's not red. Uh, <laughs> I first saw this on TBS in a version that I'm sure was cut somewhat uh, to, to be made a little more tame. Uh, so I had different experiences watching this film where like when I finally got my hands on a VHS copy, that was the, I guess, like the director's cut or the the release there were moments where I was like, wait, I don't remember that from, I don't remember that from, <laughs> from TV. Yeah. Like, especially like when the leg falls to the bottom of the estuary, it's like, that's, yeah. I didn't see that on TV. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. hundred percent. Yeah. I definitely saw this. I definitely saw this recorded on a VHS tape off of television when I was. Look, look at the, uh, the, the, the fencing there. How, how reminiscent that is of like teeth. It you is. see that there's yeah. all this there's all this like subconscious stuff happening in yeah. a funny way it's a hitchcock film oh i could see oh, that yeah that makes sense to me oh and then the, she's already been eaten by crabs and you see the rings on her fingers and the crabs is a nice touch actually it makes it that much more <sighs> she's well, been drawn into this kind of primal thing it's creepy we have this anxiety and this gets back to that I, that thing we were talking about about dying in the water you want, as awful as it is to think about death, you want a, a good burial. You want, nobody wants to be torn to pieces before they're buried. What an yeah. awful thing to, to think yeah. about. Yeah. Closed casket. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, so and th- this is so funny. She starts about, uh, talking about the kids karate chopping the picket fences. <laughs> right? Oh, so. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I love what I love about this movie is you watch it fifty times and you always like notice new different details of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he misspelled a uh, corners office there. Yeah, it just says corners, corners office. <laughs> Corner. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's Pretty, funny. Yeah, that's the first time I've ever noticed that because I'm watching it. Yeah, when Brody is in his office typing a corners report, he misspells corner. Because <laughs> there's never he's probably never had to do it before. Yeah, well, right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's specifically a, a coroner's report. Yeah. yeah. Well, that or he might be a little shook. Yeah, he probably is. Yeah, this is, and I love the the picket fences. We are in beautiful, even if it's this this resort town. It's this Norman Rockwell, Middle America. You know, you got the white fencing. 
Oh and yeah. Here, and here comes the marching band and it's, it's just every, and, yeah. And I think, I mean, I, I went to Martha's vineyard vineyard when I was a kid and Martha's vineyard is like this. Mm-hmm. That's got, right. I mean, yeah. I don't know what it's like now, but yeah, it just, it's pure Americana uh, Amity Island, 4th of July celebration, 50th annual regatta. <laughs> yeah. It's just, pure and this guy and of course brody is a city dude who's yeah. he thinks he's on a he thinks he's on a long holiday toward retirement right right and i well, love the pre, like the procedural aspect where it's like they don't have any of like they're not equipped to do like the beach clothes signs so they have right. to go to the store and they have to get all the stuff and it just shows how sort of you know out of their element they are with all of this yeah, and how like yeah. these are like the things I don't know. I'm very interested in like the sort of like step by step things, especially with regards to like this kind of like, because I'm interested in like the kind of uh, maybe parapolitical underworld implications that you can draw into this movie. Mm. Because like one of the big things that I'm interested in is like how in the original novel, there's like all this subplot with like, uh the mafia like and their real estate holdings and that's why they refuse to close the beaches and actually i didn't know that yeah like the mayor who's like a like you see in the background shots here like von realty so it's like suggested and like on that car right there that like he had been like you know a former real estate tycoon who like basically buys his wear into the way into the mayorship and there's that beautiful suit jacket of his nice and he's like sort of in the pocket of like the, you know, New England mafia. And this is like a great sort of moment because, you know, even though it's ostensibly like this kind of summer blockbuster suspense adventure flick, Spielberg is still kind of influenced by like the paranoid conspiracy thriller sort of milieu of the 70s. And so this scene where like the town elders are basically pressuring Brody to keep quiet about a shark is like Spielberg's version of like, I don't know, parallax view or right, all right. the president's men or something like yeah, that. Yeah. No, I love that. That's I could, I could definitely see that. And yeah, you know, I noticed that that's really interesting to me that that there's more of this sort of mafioso stuff in the book because it is, it is here in, in this, if you're looking for it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's not quite, it's not quite on the surface. Brody only lets go of the side of this thing when Vaughn kind of pulls him away. Brody, yeah, Brody has he hates a, the water. He hates the water, and now he hates it even more. He's got this idea that he—you can see—and he's playing it like, "Oh, there is something in here that that will kill us." Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Tremendous. I love that I, Cadillac. Appa- oh yeah, man. Sorry. Apparently, uh, Spielberg was an Eagle Scout. Oh, yeah. And, uh, yeah, there, apparently there's no mile swim merit badge. I love that he gets the chonker to go into the water. What a talk about a little bit of humor here. And, and <laughs> Kittner, Kittner has the red, the red trunks. Oh, okay. Yeah. And his oh. mother has the yellow hat. And, and of course they, they're setting up the yellow, uh, buoys later in the movie to, mm. to have all of this weird subconscious Freudian significance, right? She's, she's got yellow on the mind. Mm-hmm. There's all this like interesting, very, very sly uh, production design stuff. Mm-hmm. And these wipe cuts that are coming up are 
are very famous uh, for the the tension that it, it, that it creates, um, obviously in the audience. And, and yeah. we're being trained to look through Brody's eyes and to look through the shark's eyes. Brody and the shark are are twinned in the movie. They're paired together. Brody is oh, the yeah. shark. The shark is Brody. The shark is Brody's destiny. And then, of course, the actually the dog is the second victim. Pippin. Yeah. The dog. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Yeah, the dog's not going to make it. Here we go. And then you got the yellow and the red paired together there with the um, uh, the little uh, floating device and then Kittner. These shots right here. Oh, yeah. Look at that. Yeah. And it's reminiscent of like a shark thrusting its tail through the water. Mm -hmm. Boom, boom, boom. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And now you're back. Anyway, Brad, you were saying? Yeah. I was just going to say, you think they just, uh, you know, for production reasons, they just killed the dog? Back in the seventies, <laughs> what just to get rid of the dog? Or? No, just because it's easier to just do it than fake it. Maybe, maybe if it was an Italian, I feel like if it was an Italian shark flick, they right. would. You know, the <laughs> Italians they like to kill their turtles in the <laughs> oh, cannibal. Oh man, jeez, so, Brad, that, this, I, this is art of darkness. Yeah, yeah. Dark. <laughs> yeah, Brad's getting real dark. <laughs> Goodness. Yeah, and they're all here. They are. They're all on the beach. There's Brody. He's super tense. Yeah, yeah. Here go the kids, including his own his own kids. Yeah, they're all going in the water. So they they haven't declared it like publicly that the shark. They he was he was was talked out of it. He was convinced that it was a boating accident or whatnot, and he even he bought the BS. Yeah. That's one bad hat, Harry. <laughs> you don't go in the water at all, do you? Yeah. Yeah, there goes. I love kids. those orange and white striped, like, what are they, like, restroom? Like, the thi- those background, yeah, like, changing, like room. changing rooms. Yeah. Yeah. I do, too. Oh, there's so many kids. Right, and the tension that's already been established here is just out of control. Yeah. There's more yellow huh. in the background and in the foreground. Yeah. Yeah. And I have a little toddler son and I just, the idea, I mean, it's just it's like brutal. What happens to Brody here? Because he, he compromises himself and that he puts his own family at risk based on his own moral failing. He, mm-hmm. he knew that he knew the right thing to do, but he didn't do it. Mm-hmm. There's an argument people make sometimes that this, this is sort of Spielberg vaguely talking about World War II and America's reluctance to intervene. Oh, really? Uh, mm-hmm, yeah. Here we go. My God. Uh, <gasps> and that is, that is gruesome. They did not show that on TBS. No. <laughs> And the soundtrack. This movie without the soundtrack would not be what it is. Yeah. Or the editing. And they both won Oscars. Yeah. 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 And Brody runs right up to the right up to the edge and doesn't actually get in. Yep. Yep. A hundred percent. Yeah. That's a great point. I mean, we're really watching a movie about a man having to confront his his destiny. Yeah. Uh, and then of course, Miss Kittner. One of the things that I only realized, you know, as I kind of matured and watched the movie is that she's clearly past child rearing. Yeah. That's oh, it. Yeah. She, she can't have any more kids. She's done. Yeah. I mean, and so the, yeah. and what a great actress here. The amount of like, the amount she gives is just pretty incredible. Hmm. 
What a scene. Uh, <laughs> here we go. And now you have this muni- municipal pandemonium. And right. of course, this, this level of like freak out is how America operates now constantly. Oh, oh yeah. No, it's like, yeah, this is the, this is the 11 we are turned to at all times. Yeah. <laughs> Except yeah. it's like tiny, it's tiny stuff, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Often. Yeah. You got the, uh, see, that's Carl Gottlieb there uh, behind him. Oh, in the blue suit? Behind Vaughn, yeah. If I'm not mistaken, I believe it is, yeah. Who we, and we will read from his book on the After Dark episode, artofdarkpod.com, patreon.com slash artofdarkpod. Yeah. Well, this is probably, what this is one of the greatest entrances in cinema, full stop, when Quint uh, appears mm. here by scraping his fingers on the chalkboard. Yes. Little American flag. <laughs> We're coming to order. Mm-hmm. Brody there. Looking really uncomfortable. This is exactly what he wanted to avoid. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's like, I, this is supposed to be the vacation job. Not, how it's like you get implications of like the sort of people's roles and like they're being in the town leadership. But other than, you know, Brody and Vaughn and maybe a couple others, it's never explicitly said, but like, you know, that lady in the, like the yellow turtleneck, like you get yeah. some sense that she's like the grand dame of the town. Yeah. But mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. explicitly said who she is. Old money. I noticed yeah. behind them, behind the men in an earlier shot, there was a calendar. And again, there's that play with the subconscious placement of items that get you thinking, oh man, this is important. Time here. Yeah. If they close the beaches, is it good? Because if they don't open until August, then of course they're all going to, they all totally rely on the summer money. And he has oh, no yeah. clue. He has, see, see the calendar there? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Just sly little things. Yeah. Brody's just getting paid by, you know, he's just getting paid out of the, yeah. So he doesn't is. have to worry about it. Yeah. These, these small town things are interesting. Like, I, I've ah, seen, oh. these are his employers. Right. Right. Uh, Did somebody draw a shark? On, he drew a shark on the chalkboard. Yeah. That's the implication. He, yeah. it, while they were bickering, he drew the shark. Y'all know me. Y'all know what I do for a living. I <laughs> uh, don't have any tattoos, but if I ever got a tattoo, it would be of that shark drawing on the chalkboard. Is that right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it, it, what, a, what a, a sly move to get the shark back into your mind. Just a chalkboard drawing. Yeah. And then, of course, Quint has two great speeches. This is a great speech for his entrance. And then the the Indianapolis speech later, of course. And then his hand is to the right. His, like, factotum, goober, lump and pull hand. Oh, yeah, sidekick with, like, the the orange uh, hat, who I think he was, like, a town local who, like, yeah, so many of these, like, roles were just filled up by town locals who like still live in the town. Like in that later scene when like the kids do that prank with like the shark fin head, like the kid with like one of those kids like be is now like the chief of police in the town <laughs> where they filmed this. So it's like, they're like a lot of them are locals and like a lot of them were locals who stayed there, which is cool. Interesting. Yeah. One thing I noticed about this scene for the first time is that like the, the status in the town 
comes from the back of the room all the way to the front of the room. So you've got like the gas station attendant is right near Quint. And then it just, it just levels up the closer you get all the way up to the mayor mm-hmm. is, is what it seemed to be to me. Yeah. yeah. And I love like the tension between Quint and Vaughn. Like they, it's like they know each other and like had, there's like, there's a past there when he's like Quint, like you can yeah. just, yeah. Yeah. Like, this, that, that'll be what the pre they have to, when they make a prequel, when they do the big uh, Disney reboot of this. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I will firebomb the theaters if they ever try to reboot. <laughs> yeah. Look at how he, he, they're sitting in the water here over right. the water. Right. And, this is another example of the genius uh, of Spielberg in the creation of this film. He was 26 years old when he was doing this. That's Just wild. giving him a book where you, you see shark bites and you see shark attacks. And it's such a, a cheap way to keep the shark. And here now Brody's drinking again, a big tumbler full of whiskey there. Yeah. What does she say? You want to get drunk and fool around? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because they're, yeah, again, they're on vacation. Yeah, yeah, there this is his vacation oh, yeah. job. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh but again, yeah, just and and Brody his obsession with the shark has now begun and he 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 cares enough to get all of these books, which mm-hmm. is telling. Uh you know, I you're rooting for him at this point. And and it's yeah, he's a family man. Mm-hmm. And look at this and his kids are in the water. Oh man. I love this part where she sees the uh, shark bursting through the boat and then she yells at the kids. I do too. In the book. And again, just using, using an existing uh, illustration from an existing book for this great dramatic effect. Again, the first two thirds of this movie are not saying anybody could make it, but it's not, uh, it's not a special effects bonanza, but then you get into the, the final third and it's all of this, incredible uh footage on the water oh yeah here's here's a great example of where again they you know throughout this scene as these goofballs use their his wife's roast to try to catch the shark off the dock there's this great they're using they establish the rule that we can see the shark in our mind's eye we know the shark is there because of an object that's that's moving around mm. that's that's established here which is so important for the third act uh and if we saw um, much more of the shark in this movie the movie would have been a disaster would have been unwatchable oh yeah because, that's yeah. yeah it's like a, it's like alien right it's yeah like the first well, alien they pitched alien as jaws in space right right and so <laughs> yeah these knuckleheads and this is quite comic this is like a this is rather Beckettian, this yeah. sequence. You got these two goofballs, you know they're they're in for some trouble. This is what I'm talking about, where now, yeah, it's just planting all these things in your mind where you can see these sharks, and it's such a low-cost approach to it. Yeah, the, the tank in the mouth of the shark, setting that up for later. It's very gonna prove to be very important. Oh man. We had the shark, the shark attack photos, uh, like the injuries. Cause it's not like a neat, it's not like a neat, like cookie cutter shark bite. It's like just shredded like muscle right. and stuff. Right. Oh, not 
if you're not into this movie at this point, you're, I don't know what to tell you. You're not a fan of film or I guess it, maybe it's not your thing, but you just have to respect the level of, again, tension and, and drama that's been built in. How many minutes in are we? I'm not even going to count, but it's, we're not even that far in. Oh, and this poor dude gets dragged out into the water in his clothes. I always wonder about in movies where, where people end up in the water with all their clothes on. The first thing I do if that happens is I'm taking my stuff off. That's the first thing I'm doing yeah. to, in order to swim back. Because uh, like otherwise, you get, yeah, you're going to get dragged down. I'm, yeah. not, I'm not keeping my shoes on. I'll tell you that much. <laughs> this is so great. And the you music. Know, mm. What mm-hmm. part of the country is Spielberg from? Is he like a New Yorker? Or what's his? What's anybody know? He's okay. from. He was like born in like Cincinnati or Cleveland, but he like grew up in Arizona. Oh, oh really? really? I didn't know. That. And like he had, he has like a lot of. And actually, it's a, there's a podcast I'm going to eventually start. So it's a tease for this. Uh, that's basically taking Spielberg's oeuvre, like film by film. And basically sort of examining the sort of secret, you know, more that sort of more the parapolitical stuff, like the secret history of, you know, the post-war century through his work. Because, like, there's all kinds of, like, weird stuff. Like, he, like, was able through his dad's connections because his dad, like, did, like, the computer gadgetry stuff for, like, the U-2 spy plane. Mm. And so through connections with his dad, he was like able to like go onto like air force bases and like see like classified shit. Oh, and interesting. So he's like involved in that kind of like, he's like seeped in all of that kind of like Southwest desert high strangeness vibe. Right. I, yeah. Well, and then, yeah, now you got the, the, the feds in ET and yeah. then close encounters of the third kind. Yeah. Interesting. Super, even Super Eight. I actually love Super Eight. I don't know if you guys saw that one. So, yeah, so late Spielberg. One. It's pretty. It's pretty. It's pretty good. Hooper is so funny here. Uh, he yeah. comes up, comes on, and he's this tiny little guy. I mean, and you want to talk about three archetypes being developed? You've got Quint, the old man of the sea. You've got Brody, the kind of American everyman. And then you've got Hooper, the man of, of wealth and science. And, uh, yeah. They're loading dynamite on the boat. Can you tell me if there's a good restaurant on, on the island? Yeah, you walk straight ahead. <laughs> <laughs> and that, that has to be Gottlieb kind of adding these little, peppering these little bits of, of humor into the film and thank goodness because yeah, otherwise it's it, wise cracks. Yeah. yeah otherwise it would have been unbearable and like that yeah. lineage of like the kind of like new york or hollywood by way of new york or new york by way of hollywood sort of like wise cracking sensibility has it's in the lineage of the book too because peter benchley like his grandfather i think was Robert Benchley, who is part of like the Algonquin round table with like Dorothy Parker and all of those people uh-huh. who would basically just like sit around at some restaurant, you know, the Algonquin round table and just like yeah. be witty and drunk and stuff. So it's, it is part of this like continuity of like 
New York and LA kind of like, you know, yeah, and a lot of, wit. Yeah, yeah, a lot of, a lot of theater. Yeah. 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 So I love they, these two meet, they immediately kind of form a, a bond. This guy's an Islander, the guy in the front with the orange and the red cap. I mean, he, he was mm-hmm. cast straight from Martha's Vineyard. And he's, he's talking shit. I know these guys. I grew up with those guys in North Dakota, the same the class same of class. guy. Pretty funny. They're just, they're chumming oh, in the water. Man. And just, again, this is, and now this is who we are all the time now in America. This is, this right. never stops. <laughs> yeah. This is what, this is just Twitter, uh, but it's a bunch of boats. <laughs> there's someone non, <laughs> there's someone non throwing dynamite under right. the yeah, they're chumming right. the water. Right. Yep. Yeah. Use use my pronouns or else. <laughs> okay, so here comes Hooper, and you can already tell. I mean, he's he's got equipment. He's recording. He's professional. He's college educated and not a state school. He's he's on a different league, you know, yeah. from a different league than these guys. Yeah, and he's even his glasses have no uh, frames. Very right, uh, right. <laughs> just you could tell he's just urbane and he's got a there are no major organs remaining. Oof. Oof. Do not smoke in here. He turns in, they all turn in such a great performance. There's a story about how after the premiere, I think it was, it was, I don't know if, do not smoke in here. I think, uh, I don't know if it Shaw was there, but I know that these two, after the premiere, they went outside and they looked at each other and they just like, screamed at each other and said we we were great we were great we were, um, this is amazing they just knew they were part of something awesome That's and after cool. the agony of the shoot right. i mean which went so long and and uh was so torturous a lot of waiting a lot of the shark not working bruce the shark not working the mechanical bruce, shark yeah it's trying to a lot of his name a lot of doubt a lot of having to improvise i think i think shaw Shaw was famously a drinker, of course. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. It might, might have been difficult to work with. Yeah, there's a great book about Shaw, and it's called Hellraisers, and it's Robert Shaw, uh, Robert Harris, Richard Burton, and then Peter O'Toole. And it's just, mm-hmm. you know, these four classic British Isles actors just, you know, raising hell and, like, drinking a shit ton and stuff and anyway it'd be good resource for when you do that robert shaw episode it sounds like it yeah a lot of fun anecdotes. and we will be doing a robert shaw episode on art of darkness yeah, for sure yeah, we, we might even ask this guy might even ask our friend blower to come on what, are the, what other films has he done oh well i mean he was in well i think maybe most famously he was in the sting. He oh, was like the mark right. in the sting. Yeah. And he was in like black Sunday, which was like terrorists hijack a blimp to blow it up at the super bowl. Okay. Like movie. Oh. Um, okay. he was the red grant, like the anti James Bond villain and from Russia with love. 
Oh, okay. And okay. then he then he was in some other stuff, but yeah. not yeah. coming to mind right now. Okay. Well, he was and, like a classic sort of grizzled character actor kind right, of. Right, right. The Sting was also a Zanuck brand production. production. Ah, that's a great movie. Was a big hit. Yeah. Tiger Shark. Uh, what? Uh, his oh here's here's Vaughn in another amazing suit. Yeah. Oh yeah. And I love the the earlier sort of uh, you have a kind of allusion to Watergate or I guess to the porno when he said like says that the shark has a deep throat. Oh. <laughs> yes. Getting a little static in the background. I don't know if anybody's moving around or anything, but it's just uh See if it's kind of staticky on my end, but I think it's my headphones. Yeah. And again, Brody wants to be fooled again here, but he won't be yeah. fooled twice yeah. because yeah, he wants to believe. Yeah, and he's talking about the digestive system of the shark. And, uh, yeah, they're not going to cut the shark open uh, on the dock here. <laughs> what a nightmare. Shark autopsy. Yeah, I got 20 facts you might know about Jaws. Well, we know that. Yeah, well, this is interesting. Jaws began as a novel by Peter Benchley, one of the credited screenwriters on the movie. The book was inspired by a lifelong interest in sharks especially a 1964 story about a fisherman named Frank Mundus who caught a two-ton great white shark off the shore of Montauk, New York. Oh, yikes. Oh, and here comes uh, Mrs. Kittner. And if that's her husband, again, that, that drives home the idea that they're done. They can't have another kid. It's over. No bueno. And that hit feels real, too. Probably just, they just probably just had her hit him. Uh, probably. Yeah, I think it was real. Yeah. Just cuffed to the side of the head. Andy deserves it. Yeah, Oof. you knew. You knew. Yeah, I mean, what an archetypal moment. You've got the widow in black in mourning coming to confront you with your sins, you know? Like, yeah. 100%. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, that's a, it, has, it has the quality of, of Greek tragedy. It really, really does. Yeah, it does for, for, for being, yeah, it depends. Like I've thought about this with Jaws before too. Like the premise of this, depending on the tone in which you wrote it, you could pose it as like a Greek tragedy or as a schlocky summer blockbuster or, you know, like there's whatever you decide to emphasize. Absolutely. Yeah. Because, I mean, we're <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah, 40 the, the, minutes in and we're, we've barely even been on a boat yet. You know, it's like... Yeah, the it trivia here is, multitudes. It does. Triv, yeah. The trivia here says it was a real smack. Oh man. Yeah, he really got hit. He did get hit. <laughs> <laughs> the things he do for art. That's uh, right. So much pathos. And you already know these actors are so good and uh and then he has to come home and he sees his little kid and his little kid loves him unconditionally and you can tell he's already had a few 
Yeah, he's got a whiskey in front of him, and and yeah. the cubes have already melted. Yeah, and the kid drinks his milk. Oh well, man, dad, dad drinks his whiskey, <laughs> and he hasn't touched his food, of course, which which Hooper notices. Uh, what is yeah, what does he meat. say? It's meat, right? Mm. What does he say? Uh, this is a this is a very uh, Spielbergian moment here. What does he say? Or Hooper say when uh, I'd like to talk to your husband, and she says, "So would I." <laughs> <laughs> it's just fantastic. In the book, it's a little less wholesome because in the book, Hooper and uh, Mrs. Brody have an affair. Indeed, they yeah, do. So uh, there's a little okay. more kind of tension in that relationship. Which, it, you know, it sort of makes sense that they cut it out for the movie because the movie is, you know, more of like a, it has its sort of grisly moments, but it is way more of like a adventure movie. And it would be weird to have this kind of like De Palma style kind of like steamy sordidness in like what is basically like an adventure flick. Yeah. There's no room in the film for it. And of course, in the book, Hooper... Yeah. Hooper gets got in the book because he deserves yeah. it because he he's a uh, philanderer or a uh, an adulterer uh, and I you know I didn't know what you're having so about red and white <laughs> these little, <laughs> these little uh, signs of of class and of course when Brody Brody pours the red wine directly into his killed whiskey and there's plenty of whiskey left at the bottom yeah. of that. there's a good. <laughs> inch of watered down whiskey detail, yeah oh it's such a great little moment yeah he goes for the red yeah he's in yellow here too yes their whole little... kitchen's yellow mm. like the dishes and everything are yellow in there yeah nothing in this film is is accidental it's that classic sort of like 70s sunflower yellow like yellow wallpaper all that that's true. Yeah. I ki- my kitchen light was like that growing up. Not the wallpaper. But we had a yellow refrigerator, you know, the yeah. 70s yellow refrigerator. It was all like sunflower yellow and like burnt orange. Yeah. Yeah. It's a good look. We have some <laughs> laminate Bringing that flooring. Yeah. yeah, laminate flooring in our uh, kitchen that it must be from the 70s. That is uh, quite yellowish. Yeah. Staying classy. I'm not pulling it up. I don't want hard wood in my kitchen. The rest of the house can be hardwood, but uh, yeah. Oh man, this is that. This is a good little speech for Hooper. He talks about uh, having his uh, inboard turned into an outboard. Mm-hmm. Well, and it's interesting because like Hooper kind of comes across as like you know he's the effete city slicker scientist trust fund kid, but he has the kind of grit of like a seafaring adventurer to him too like he's like has no problem going up front with like these sharks and like seeing them like tear his boat apart and then of course later on like when there's that bonding moment between he and quint and so like you know it just goes to show that like all of these characters have uh oceanic depths to them that like you don't catch in like the first viewing yeah 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 i mean he 
he talks uh, to Quint. He says he he manned or whatever did. I can't remember how many, but it comes later. But X Y Z transpacks. We're saying like he's he's crossed. He's sailed across the Pacific. He is a man of the yeah. sea. Like yeah, yeah. Brad, what were you going to say? Well, he's going to say he certainly has. He certainly has more physical courage than Brody does, especially around the water. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Until the very end. Yeah. And Brody is forced to confront. Uh, yeah, it, it, my husband uh, hates the water. He's afraid of the water. What? What? What's it called? Drowning. <laughs> <laughs> There's a clinical term for it, isn't it? Drowning. Yeah, I love it. Yeah, yeah. There's a clinical term so for it. Drowning. That's got to be yeah. a Gottliebism. Uh, yeah. Yep. Yep. Carl Gottlieb. <laughs> uh, yeah, I can't wait to read that chapter on the After Dark. It's so funny. Now he's. This is what tells me, and he plays a an excellent drunk uh, having some experience in the field. Uh, he, he's a, he's a practice drunk. He's, he's going to be able to function through this. He's not so far gone that he can't get out and do it, but it is really hilarious to think that the, what remains here as they, they go, end up going out on the water uh, to find, Oh, I can't remember the character's name, but, but to find uh uh, ben Gardner's boat. That can do anything. Uh, he's he's uh, he's drunk the whole time here. <laughs> yeah, it's sort of amusing. Hey, you know when you cut open a shark, you got to get a little. Yeah, it's good to have one. Uh, yeah, I'm not cutting open a shark sober. I like that he's still wearing his tie. Or <laughs> something like that with this, this uh, all denim. It's just like yeah, it looks like, his, look. like a crocheted tie. I think it's a scarf, Brad. Oh, maybe it, it might be. <laughs> yeah, and then a little bit of humor here too, where he he, he ate a Louisiana license plate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and the license plate has uh, 007 on it, and like oh, because do, like oh, I think it? I think the most recent. James Bond movie oh, yeah. had been uh, live and let die at this point, which what had like was set extensively in Louisiana. Oh. And I know Spielberg was like desperate. He always wanted to make a Bond flick, but like at the time they were very sort of British chauvinist and only hiring uh, non-American filmmakers until re- actually the most recent movie they had Carrie Fukunaga, who's an American. Yeah. And uh, so like that license plate with the 007 Louisiana is like his sort of like trying to get like the attention of Cubby Broccoli at all. <laughs> interesting. <laughs> Very. Interesting. And then, you know, just sort of going on to my usual kind of underworld, a popcorn tear about it. It's like, there's like so many like, you know, extrapolations you can draw from of what exactly is a license plate doing in the water in Louisiana. And like, you start thinking about, it's like, it was like disposed as like part of like a crime scene. You know, you think new Orleans mafia, like throwing away some license plate and then this shark, you know, swallowing it and then winding up here in Amity. And it's like, you know, just the sense that like, there's like a bigger subterranean or underwater world more than just this like resort Island. Yeah, no, I love that. And the shark is, the shark is like, uh, the shark is like the conduit of the underworld. I like it. I like it. 
We're about to yeah, approach awesome. some some sh- some shots that are distinctly Spielbergian, with the light coming through the uh, the glass in Gartner's boat. This is this does feel like a his own contribution to the language of of cinema, uh, just in terms of the these little moments. There could be precedent for it, but I don't I don't know of it. And of course, uh, Jurassic Park is is Jaws on land. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, in a lot of ways. I mean, there's yeah. you know, and there's even there's even hints of this whole like science or you know the G whiz science around the sharks has a real place in this film. He, yeah, but know, there's always something in the Spielberg thing where like there is a certain respect for science, but like when it comes right down to it, like you have to. When it comes right down to it, science doesn't solve the problem. Uh, of course, right? of course. A yeah. man has to do what right. a man does. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But that's what we all want to see, too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, Brody's starting to sober up. <laughs> right. I know he's, he's, he's waving that bottle of white wine around. Yeah. <laughs> Look at this. These are the shots that I'm talking about. There's a wonderful aura around these, and they're lit so perfectly. There's a barrel in the water. Oh, yeah. Again, foreshadowing what's to come. Yeah, this business especially right here just feels like... So out of that boat. Yeah, and this, this sequence was supposed to have the Gottlieb character in it, and it was supposed to be during the day. I mean, and how much less effective would that have been? I, I seem to recall in one of the documentaries them talking about how they cut this so many times or they cut, you know, when they were testing the movie, they kept editing this until they got the jump scare. Oh, mm-hmm. really? They wanted the jump scare here. Uh, well, and I had, another thing I had read is that like, I think like the underwater part when the head comes out, was filmed in like Verna Fields, who is the editor, like her like swimming pool or someone, <laughs> oh, really? someone on production swimming pool. And yeah, awesome. well, they, they definitely went back to Hollywood and shot a number of um, uh, shots in the, in a, like a, on like a soundstage in the water for sure. I, I don't know exactly which, but. It, it wasn't all shot. Like this might've actually been on a soundstage. I could uh, see that n- now that I think of it. Yeah. Yeah. You got the light. You're right about the lighting. It's really, it's, it's evocative. Yeah. The, this, the lights under the water too. Mm-hmm. It's almost reminiscent of like, you know, like UFOs, like right. the yes. lighting yes. of the ship. It looks like a UFO. That maybe Spielberg saw in the night sky in Arizona as a child. Right. Oh, I bet he saw an eight. I bet he saw a UFO. That would explain so much. Well, his earliest movie was called, like his first feature length movie was called like, it's like Firelight or something like that. And it's like, there's only about like seven minutes of it surviving today. And it was just, it was like made when he was like a senior in high school or something. And it was all of his friends. And it was about like, you know, these high school kids in Arizona, like encountering UFOs and like, you know, watching a surviving footage on YouTube. It's a pretty 
The eye is missing. Uh. And, and what is the implication there in terms of how he died? Is it that he, he drowned in the bottom of his own boat rather than, than you know, good. Like drop into the water. Yeah, it's yeah. not clear how he how he expired per se. Right. Yeah, but he was definitely attacked by the shark, and the shark. And again, reinforcing this fact that 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 shark will bite your boat. Yeah, that mm. big bad shark will come at your boat. Mm-hmm. Oh, here's Vaughn in his uh in his anchors again. Sails away, <laughs> anchors away, Vaughn. <laughs> I am not a man of the sea. Here, I, I, this, is, this is politics for you. There are lake people and river people, and there are ocean people. Mm. Everything else is noise. It's all right. Which one are you, Kevin? I'm a river person. Oh, a river person. Yeah, yeah. I'm a lake person. I'm a lake person. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yep, I'm a river person. <laughs> Makes sense. Plays a lot. Uh, so now, now I'm the other. Now I'm the outsider here. Now yeah, that's right. <laughs> that river, a, river rats versus yeah. lake snakes. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> that feels right. That feels right. It's so interesting how much the mayor plays into the drama in the first two acts, and then Quint Quint completely replaces Vaughn mm-hmm. as yeah. the as the third man in the scene. Uh, yeah, such a good actor. Yeah. And of course, they open the beaches again, which is insane. Yeah. At this point, you're, you know, you know, uh, you're with these guys, but ironically, they're going to open the beaches because they have to, right? It, because the because in pure American fashion, the almighty dollar is God. Yeah, no, you can't um, interrupt. You can't interrupt the commerce. Yeah, the shark of capital. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. We're dealing with a perfect engine. All it does is uh, swim, eat, and make make baby sharks. Yeah, something like that. <laughs> yeah, swim eat and make little baby sharks. <laughs> it really is extraordinary writing too. They yeah. weren't happy with the, the, the original drafts of the screenplay for a long time. It took a, took a lot of doing for them to, to get the screenplay right. And, and quite a bit of it was improvised. Uh, if I'm not mistaken. Oh really? Yeah. You're going to need a bigger boat was improvised. Ah, interesting. Which is a wonderful thing to think about. August. Yeah. Tomorrow's the 4th of July. That lighthouse in the background is fantastic too. What a great location. Yeah. No not a chemtrail in the sky. I guarantee <laughs> if you went out if you went out there now. Yeah, oh yeah. It, it would just be, be just gauzy, just yeah, crisscross. Yeah. It'd be cotton candy sky. Yeah. Nothing to nothing to see here, people. Yeah. Well, and here and, and here come all the uh the peasants to be fed to the chorus. Yeah. Peasants, yeah. the the feed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The yeah, mass. and I like I love how like 
they look like real people and like you get a sense of it. It's like, it almost has like a home movie vibe that like, you know, you watch movies now and it's like, they don't really have, that's not what, you know, real America people look like, but you get a sense of like, this is like, you know, an approximation, a pretty accurate one of what it looked like in the seventies. Yeah. Totally yeah. feels that way. The, the extras were pulled from the area, I'm sure. Yeah. And, and said, we'll pay you this amount to, right. to work on the movie for three days. Yeah. That must've been a thing. There's going to be a little moment here where a kid is playing a little video game where you, you have a rifle and you shoot a shark in the video oh. game. Another little subliminal setup. Uh, yeah. yeah. Why anybody would choose to. Yeah. Right here. The, the little video game. Oh, <laughs> set me up, Killer Shark. That'd be a cool arcade game to have. Yeah, as a, yeah. As a true, you know, true Jaws completist, need that in their hounds. Right. <laughs> <laughs> here comes uh, the reporter who is Peter Benchley. Uh, yeah, oh, this really? Is, this is his cameo in the film. Right. The the author of the book, which we'll talk about on the After Dark episode. All right. All right. They're all chum in the water. Oh god. Trying to draw the shark away. Yeah. Yeah, here's here's Peter Benchley. He looks like a wide receiver. Yeah, yeah, he does. <laughs> yeah. The robust like robust college. Gentleman. Yeah, he's a real he's got a real waspy vibe, doesn't he? Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Yeah, the helicopter yeah, is in that yellow. Huh. Yeah, eventually he's kind of in that tradition of like a George Plimpton type who yeah. is like mm. like a kind of like, yeah, wasp bookish kind of guy, but he knew how to like toss a pigskin. Right. <laughs> right. It feels that way. Yeah. He might have played, he might have uh, been like a backup quarterback at Cornell, that kind of a, <laughs> yeah. a vibe. Yeah. Yeah. Why is nobody getting into the water? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, Mayor Vaughn. Let's, let's pause and talk about your hair for a minute. Right? <laughs> incredible, incredible hair. Yeah. Family oh, no. offering no. themselves as ritual sacrifices. Yes, it, to the beast of capital. That's right. Yeah, hundred yeah. percent. And I mean, the and they have. Oh, we're taking the kids too. Oh. Yeah. Oh, and, and what is with these like old parents? Very yeah, old. Th yeah. Those could be their grandparents. Now that I think about that, yeah. Ugh. But but even Brody, I mean, even Brody and his wife are look a little old. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. well it's I, like, it what I feel like that's like a classic sort of trope now, where it's like you look at like what parents look like in the seventies and stuff, and it's like they're 40 years old, but to us now they look seventies just because everything, <laughs> everything is like, you know, you've lived a rougher life back then. And yeah. now everything is sort of like arrested development in terms of like, you know, we have like better, like, I guess, anti-aging things, at least for like the sort of the Holly, Holly Jacob, Jacob, yeah. we are being pickled by xenoestrogens and microplastics. Yeah. 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 It doesn't age, that doesn't age you though. That actually keeps you supple, I think. We're preserved. Yeah. It's got all kinds of other problems, but yeah. aging you, is not one of right. them. You drop yeah. dead suddenly, but you look yeah. young. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, brought to you by Pfizer. 
Yeah, and he brings his own family to the beach. Yeah. He he tells his son to go play to go sail in the pond. The son doesn't want to. Then the little boy comes comes chasing after them. And of course the pond is where the uh where Bruce the shark decides to attack. Mm-hmm. Oh gosh. And the allusion to Alien that you made earlier is interesting because what I always loved about Bruce the shark is the fact that it is kind of wonky that it doesn't look like an actual fish and it makes sense because the shark in this movie isn't a fish it's a monster right that like i feel like now the problem with shark movies like that like the shallows or 47 meters down or whatever is the cgi makes makes shark too like fluid and realistic and it kind of like minimizes the horror quality. But like in Jaws, when you do finally glimpse the shark, it does look genuinely like monstrous and, you know, something like completely out of our sort of understanding of how nature works. Yeah, it's like this thing isn't reasonable. It's not yeah. like, yeah, it's it doesn't, it's not even thinking. It's, it's just, yeah. It really yeah. is like a machine. Right, and I've I've always said the shark is the movie. Mm. Oh, yeah. I mean, and that that's obvious, but I really mean it. The shark is the movie. This movie ends when the shark is gone, very abruptly. Yeah. It's it gives you about maybe sixty seconds after the shark is gone, ninety seconds, yeah. and they're done. They swim to shore. Yeah, and the movie itself, of course, is is an engine. The movie is a machine for tension and for fear. It's pretty wonderful. Yeah, Brody's learned enough about sharks to know no whistles. It's going to freak the shark out. Yeah. Gonna, it's going to track the shark to the shore. I mean, this is not going to work. <laughs> people are, people are, and I love how there's just this horrible stampede and yeah, people just swimming over children. Right. They don't care. There he goes. He can't handle it. Yep. He, he steals the child's uh, little, little buoy toy. Total pandemonium. Again, Twitter. Yeah. This was this was all the blue checks running for the exit when Elon threatened to take over. <laughs> Horror. Yeah, I mean they trample a guy, have to drag right. him out. There's no there's no law and order in the ocean. Yeah. And also just kind of the banal banal quality of like traveling to a place like this for the 4th of July to mm-hmm. go soak in the ocean with a bunch of other plebs, like <laughs> just how kind of gauche it all is. And then these little monsters, <laughs> little known fact, this is the first appearance on film of the Coen brothers. What? <laughs> it's a joke. Oh. <laughs> I got it you does, earlier, so it's good. That, that that moment does feel like something the Coens would appreciate. It, it does. Wow. What a great distraction. And then of course, yeah. here comes the shark, and you've got this hot young gal yeah. with the red bandana. Uh, now she's screaming shark and she can barely uh Barely get it out. And now Brody's like, what now? Come on. (laughs) Uh, But his own son is in the pond. Oof. Yeah. 
Following the release of the film, a sort of hysteria overtook some members of the public, resulting in numerous incidents across the country. In one, a, a beach in South California was cleared by lifeguards due to sharks in the water, which turned out to be dolphins. And in a sadder incident in Florida, an immature pygmy sperm whale, uh, hang on here, sperm whale that beached itself was beaten to death by bystanders who mistook it for a shark. What? <laughs> oh my God. Now after this guy gets, mm -hmm. well, then you had that like panic and actually the, the namesake of the, uh, the upcoming apocalypse confidential special summer of the shark that mm -hmm. like that panic, like in like summer of 2001, where like it seemed like there was like a shark attack like every other week, but it was like a total like media invention, just like sort of, you know, panic and like trying to like whip up ratings and readership and stuff. Yeah, it's like the numbers and, weren't going up. They just paid it. They just ran the stories, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And like, and it's like a kind of, it was like a weird snapshot, like looking back, like you had that and you have like, the whole Chandra Levy, Gary Condit stuff. And it was like these weird, like sort of media stories that became this huge, like sort of media storm, like right before 9-11. Mm. So. Did it. Did it. Exactly. When you wow. never know, you know, what of those, when that happens, you don't know is, is some studio releasing some big shark movie. And they also right. happen to own all of these other outlets and they just plant these stories and, and signal boost these stories. Why wouldn't they? Uh, why they're why planting it they? into your mind. Yeah. Well, and now Brody looks out to the sea because he knows that's where his destiny lies. Yeah. You can't, he will, you can't fight it. You can't fight it from the land. Yeah. I love the musical cue here. It, 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 it really is like a face your destiny moment. Yeah. And that passing through that proscenium of the pier or whatever, like kind yeah. of, yeah, yeah, it's best. Odysseus going out to the sea. Who is Very this much so. Who is this hippie doctor? <laughs> he can't even be a doctor. He's got to be like a... <laughs> He's an orderly. Apparently, yeah. Yeah. They keep he, looked, he, he looked at the camera for a second, actually. Ugh. It's impossible to find good actors. Uh, yeah. yeah, anyway. During the scene at the hospital after the shark attack in the pond, as Michael and his bed are being wheeled out of the room and down the hall by a female nurse and a male doctor, the actor playing the male doctor looks directly into the camera. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Whoops. Yeah. Eh, it just, you know, that's the, that's the shot we got. Yeah. Oh, well, at this, point, at this point, Vaughn is done. He's wrecked. Yeah, he's a, yeah, he's a wreck. Yeah. You can't uh, talk your way out of this one. Mara Shark City. <laughs> <laughs> what a great, uh, yeah, great scene. We're going to hire Quinn to kill the shark. He's still trying to uh, buy his way out of it, too, Brody. Brody doesn't <laughs> want to be responsible. No. Mm -hmm. and who would <laughs> you don't want to have to you don't want to have to go fight that thing you don't want to no. have to be this is not your uh territory no no and now the town is wrecked for a good long period of time as well 
they're they're not going to come back as they oh, say. Yeah. They're going to yeah. be on welfare for a minute. Yeah. 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 All the tourists have left. It's a mess. Yeah, I don't know though. Now, like I feel like if there was a shark sighting, I think you'd get tourists who were motivated to see the shark. Uh, possibly. Yeah. It's a different class of person though from the plebs who like to soak in the water. Okay, and talk about how great this set is. Yeah, all these sharks he's killed. Mm. It, it looks like a, it, it looks like some kind of like backlot Disney ride set, like Tom <laughs> Sawyer kind of thing. Like this whole like not just this uh shack, but like this whole like inlet, like when they're going out, it looks totally like you know, like 20,000 leagues under the sea, like Peter's dragon kind of like (laughs) that era of like Disney backlot kind of filmmaking. Oh yeah. No, you're totally right. They're definitely on location though. Yeah. Yeah. But it must be the way that it was shot. Oh, for sure. Can't get a good man these days unless he's under 60. (laughs) So, so Brody dumped out that little bit of booze. Was that because the booze is bad or is that because he's serious now? That's a great, great point. Yeah, Sorry. I think, I don't think we know. I think we could decide one or the yeah. other. Yeah. But Brody, Brody may be done boozing for the minute. Yeah, he yeah. may have, have been sobered up by the fact that he's responsible for this town. Yeah, yeah. And that his son nearly was killed by this thing. Right. It's personal. Mm-hmm. This time it's personal. Mm-hmm. The borrow from the Jaws Four tagline. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, maybe we should have screened Jaws Four. <laughs> <laughs> that film is so bad that it's good. It oh, crosses yeah. that that transom where you you want to watch it. They just get worse though, right? Like two yes. is bad, but it's better than the, the two ones is that okay. Follow. Two is yeah. watchable. Two is like a slasher movie on the water. Yeah. Yeah, and three is ridiculous. Three has these the hero dolphins who who save the day. (laughs) Three was clearly underwritten by SeaWorld. Oh Uh, oh yeah. Yeah. And and then four becomes completely unhinged. (laughs) Just like a cocaine fever dream screenwriting. (laughs) How do we get Ellen Brody and the kids? I mean, Brody's dead by the fourth one and it's just like a throwaway line and then they yeah. immediately they immediately kill i think michael uh yeah he's like the police and it opens on christmas so you know <laughs> like to say it's my favorite christmas movie and <laughs> and yeah i love the michael kane line where like he was interviewed about jaws of revenge and he was like asked if he had seen it. he's like i haven't seen it but i've seen the house that it paid for and it's been- <laughs> <laughs> That's yes. right. That's right. It's such a goofy film. Worth watching just because it's so famously strange. Yeah. She has this weird psychic connection to the shark and the shark follows yeah. her all the way down to the Caribbean. That I do remember that. Yeah. 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 Can't, see, can't. Not, to, not to rehash a tweet that I had made earlier, but I had always I felt that like if they were gonna do a Jaws franchise, which they shouldn't have done, but if they were going to do it, they should have followed the Hooper character 
and like him going around because like they already tease it in this movie where they talk about like he's going on the aurora for 18 months around you know the world you know going around the world oceans Mm -hmm. so he should have been like you know a shark you know he somehow manages to find himself in different shark situations (laughs) you know around the world become like a sort of maritime indiana jones it's it's a no-brainer oh no that would have been great yeah as soon as as soon as someone creates a time machine the first thing i'm going to do is go back in time and do that jaws hooper franchise oh it would have been great and you could have made each one kind of progressively a little bit crazier right you know he's in south africa for the next one and you know at some point he comes across a shark like a shark cult you know you could have made it kind of weird but it like wouldn't have Day of the Dolphin style shark <laughs> telepathic, like Cold War Soviet shark stuff. Yeah, it's it writes itself. Exactly. <laughs> Still trying to figure out your your aesthetic, Jacob. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not so sure. I love it. I saw a little bit of trivia here that apparently the orca was originally called the warlock. Oh. Yeah. Oh. I oh, like the orca. There was better. a. There was a. What was that movie where they're. Oh no, that's Sorcerer. I'm thinking of that movie. Sor- is it that's Sorcerer? a great movie. It is a great movie. I know the truck is called Sorcerer, right? Yeah. 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 Wow. I mean, and we've got about 50 minutes left of this film, and yeah. uh, you you kind of know you're not going to see her again. You can feel yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. Wear your rubbers. Now we're in the realm of men, right? We're going to see it's all men. Yeah. General trivia, Robert Shaw also ran into trouble with the IRS and had to flee the country once his scenes were completed. He spent more than a certain (laughs) amount of time in the U.S. He would face a tax liability. To circumvent that, Shaw was flown to Canada on his days off. Nice. So the shooting went so long that they had to schlep him to Leafland Wow. So he could avoid the IRS. Wow. Can't we can't we do something for working artists? Can't we yeah, cut seriously. anybody a break? Why, no. why does it have to be? No, of course not. No. No. If you come on our territory and you read a few lines, you gotta pay. You yeah. gotta pay yeah. up. Yeah, that makes yeah. sense. Yeah. It totally makes sense. For all the value that that the government brings. Uh yeah, interesting. The entire second half of Jaws takes place on the ocean with just Roy Scheider, Robert Shaw, and Richard Dreyfuss carrying it between the three of them. No other characters appear, bar the shark, and dry land is glimpsed near the end of the movie. The reason was Spielberg didn't want land to be seen because he he thought the audience would think that the characters could just run back to shore. He wanted to isolate the audience as much as the characters. Yeah, you can feel that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And that was another change they made from the book that's so much better is because in the book, like they go like at the end of each day, they go back on land and then go back in the water and go back on land, which that would have totally slowed down the action and like lowered the stakes. So the fact that they're isolated out there. No, that's the way to do it. Yeah. This I is mean, a play at this even, point. Even, the, even yeah. though really practically, like this thing has been attacking people basically at the beach. So I don't know that you really even... <laughs> but, but I don't want to get in the way of a good story. Did either of you guys see the... There was another in the 90s probably. 
there was a mini series from another Peter Benchley book called, I think it was called The Beast. Yeah, the squid one. Yeah, I was like, Peterson. Yeah, I love that one. Yeah, yeah. Giant. It's basically Jaws, except it's a giant squid. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. You just hear the publisher begging him, begging him to write another one. Right. Yeah. (laughs) Go ahead, Jacob. <laughs> well, then there was like another one. It was like the island or the deep or something like that, where it was like something that involved Nazi experimentation with sharks. And I just remember catching it on like the sci fi channel back when it was sci fi, not this sci fi, like <laughs> yeah. yeah. And like it like ends with like a shark growing legs and arms and stuff like that. Horrible, but okay. amazing. Okay. <laughs> I'm into it. All of these other examples that we're giving just highlight what a remarkable accomplishment this film is and how it stands heads, heads and shoulders, you know, head and shoulders above most, most everything else. Other than Sharknado. It's, (laughs) it's multiple movies too. It's, it's got so much has already happened. It it feels like we've already had an entire movie Mm. and now we get to have this action adventure on the sea. Uh, the setup is just so incredible. And now you're so ready to watch whatever is going to happen here. And of course, now we've got Brody. Brody is on the water. Right. Why does he, why does he go? Why does Brody go? I think he realizes, like we kind of said that this is like, he's called to heroism. Yeah. Some sense of responsibility and the widow slapped him and he wants to redeem himself. And yeah. Yeah. I like how he's methodically strapping everything in. He's not telling the boys what's up. He's just getting ready. Oh, man. And Shaw's so great. Because he's going to reel it in like you reel in a bass, you know? Sure. (laughs) Get behind me. This also, I mean, this is evocative, of course, of all the great American... Well, not all, but a, a big segment of great American literature. This is Moby Dick, of course. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's also The Old Man in the Sea. It's also yeah. Hemingway. Yeah. Uh, so it's hitting all of those notes for us, but in a really cinematic way. It's pure yeah. cinema. There really isn't anything literary about this uh, on the nah. surface. Nah, it's... And that's that's uh, uh, excellent. And apparently, that when they were working on the screenplay, Spielberg was was really emphasizing that because because Benchley was coming back with kind of a literary screenplay, and uh, mm-hmm. he was he was leaning into learning. He wanted to learn because he wanted to write screenplays directly. Uh, and I think he he must have after this. Um, but he came first as a novelist and a novel, a novelist who's untrained as a screenwriter is going to think a certain way. <laughs> I don't know, chief, whether he's very smart or very dumb. Yeah. That, people people a, say that about, about me actually. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I, I, you could say that about this movie, right? right. Either this movie is, <laughs> I mean, and, and is this movie the ultimate midwit film? It may be. <laughs> I mean, there's nothing. There's nothing wrong with that. No, there isn't. 
I think you can, you can take from, and I think our, our conversation is, is evidence of this. You can take from this film what you want. There's a lot you can pull from this. Well, you know, I think one of the things is like I, the, the, when you're watching a film or thinking about films, there's multiple genres. So yeah, this isn't an art house film and that's fine. But like taken for what it is, if you want to use the term midwit, but like Hollywood block action adventure blockbuster, this is as good as they get pretty much as a, as a medium of its own. There was nothing like this prior. Not really. Right. Yeah. It's created a new, was like a new level. Yeah. Yeah. Oh man. And and for people who appreciate cinema and who really understand what's going on with the camera right now and you're thinking how is this how did they get this shot on that boat? How did they get that shot on that boat? How did they do this? There's so much meat for you. No oh, yeah. pun intended. A lot of chum in the water for you. That's right. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, there's a lot of chum in this movie. oh it's shaw just chews up scenery right like he's he's swinging cats the entire time yeah i just forgot we were doing a podcast for a second there just watching (laughs) yeah From what I remember reading, like Dreyfus and Shaw like hated each other, and like there is like sort of real rivalry on set between the two. I mean, I, I feel like there's probably some kind of animosity between everyone just because the shoot was such a bitch to do. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's good. They made use of it. You know, They're both <laughs> Dreyfus is certainly a professional. So I love that when he does the. I don't have to take this abuse much longer because like, <laughs> because like to like, you know, a millennial like me, I'm like, what the hell? He's just doing some goofy Looney Tunes voice. But yeah. then I read that like, it was like, that's like a WC Fields reference. Oh, right. Yeah. 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 And so it's like to someone in the, you know, maybe an older viewer in like 1975, they'd be like, oh yeah, like, you know, that's like the equivalent of like doing like a Christopher Walken impression, like in a movie now. Right. But like it, but like cultural references and touchstones become lost over time. And it's like, it became its like own kind of thing. Right. 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 Probably another Gottliebism chucked into the script. Yeah. Or or again, who knows who might've improvised. How long did it take to shoot Jaws? Although principal photography was scheduled to take 55 days, it did not wrap until October 6th, 1974, after 159 days. Spielberg, reflecting on the protracted shoot, stated, I thought my career as a filmmaker was over. Oof. Here we go. Oh, I love this. Not paying attention, throwing the chum. Yeah. Boom. Uh, Like the way he jerks back. Yes. It's so great. There is this thing where everybody who first sees the shark, it's like you can't call attention to it for some reason. Like you see it and you kind of freeze and you slowly react, but you don't just, that's the line. You're going to need a bigger boat. It's often uh, misquoted as we're going to need a bigger boat. 
It is not we're going to need a bigger boat. It is you're going to need a bigger boat. Yeah. And that's essential because that's Brody's, Brody's character is still, he's not the shark still not taking responsibility for it. And here we go. Now the shark is here and now it is on. And even Shaw is blown away by the size of the shark, mm-hmm. 25 feet long, five feet wide. They don't make sharks that big. And the score. Yeah. And guess how he says it so quietly. Like, yeah, he's like, he finally sort of respects the shark for the dragon that it is. Yeah. 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 I'm going to read a little bit here from the wiki footage of the real shark uh, that we're going to see here soon. The real sharks was shot by Ron and Valerie Taylor in the waters off dangerous reef in South Australia with a short actor in a miniature shark cage to create the illusion that the sharks were enormous during the Taylor's shoot. A great white attacked the boat and cage. The footage of the cage attack was so stunning that Spielberg was eager to incorporate it into the film. No one had been in the cage at the time, and the script following the novel originally had the shark killing Hooper in it. The storyline was consequently altered to have Hooper escape from the cage, which allowed the footage to be used. As production executive Bill Gilmore put it, the shark down in Australia rewrote the script and saved Dreyfus's character. Oh, interesting. I did not know that. And I prefer that. It's nice that Cooper Cooper doesn't die and he survives and he comes back and they swim to shore together. It feels feels better that way somehow. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and it's cool how it's like, you know, we think of, and maybe nowadays they definitely are, you know, with all the pre-vis, everything is like a well-oiled machine, a perfect perfect machine. All it does is, you know, exploit IP, reap box office, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yep, yep. But like with like, you know, movies back then, you think of them as these huge productions, but like so much of what we take for granted like we we see this now and be like, of course, we perhaps to live. You have to have that kind of Casablanca style ending. Right. Um, but like the fact that it was like this sort of happy accident or circumstance just makes it like that art like this just is about, you know, improvisation, which seems to be a big theme of our talk tonight is how so much of this is just sort of like rolling with the punches. Yeah. And there's yeah, those limitations force an interesting kind of, you know, streak of creativity. You've got to do, you know, you've got to, you got to do what you can with what you've got. I mean, this, I don't know how they would film this now, but back then it was what he had a Spielberg had a crew of what, eight people or something out there probably helping him shoot this and do sound. And then it's the actors and that's it. And then it's like, we go out there and we get whatever we can get every day. And hopefully, hopefully some of it's good. Now, now this water scene would be shot on like a green screen stage and air conditioned in Burbank or something. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. And you would, you can Burbank more like, more like uh, Hong Kong or like Beijing (laughs) or something. Um, Vancouver. One of the most, okay, so I'm going to read about the origin of You're Going to Need a Bigger Boat. 
One of the most quotable lines in movie history, it happened by accident. Writer Carl Gottlieb, who we're going to read on the After Dark, recently talked with The Hollywood Reporter and revealed how the line came to be. This is from cinemaplan.com. Filmed largely on the water, the equipment for Jaws was all housed on a barge nicknamed the USS Garage Sale, (laughs) which, thanks to stingy producers, only had a single support boat to keep it steady, a task the small craft was not up to. The fact that they needed a bigger boat became an in-joke on the set. Per Gottlieb, uh, Zanuck and Brown were very stingy producers, so everyone kept telling them, you're going to need a bigger boat. It became a catchphrase for any time anything went wrong. If lunch was late or the swells were rocking the camera, someone would say, you're going to need a bigger boat. So there you go. That's pretty great. Again, the same thing, right? This limitation that's kind of imposed on the thing. And And this shooting star, uh, did we already see the shooting star? I may have missed it. I might have missed it too. There will be a shooting star or there might have just been. That was a real shooting star that they caught in the shot. Wow. Which they kind of t- took to mean there was a, a good omen. And of course, sure. this is the greatest, one of the greatest speeches in cinema history. I'm actually going to go over and hang out with a buddy of mine tonight. We're going to watch The Third Man, which has another great, great speech, the cuckoo clock speech. But it really doesn't get any better than this. And um, I mean, this entire scene, uh, it's like a little play that happens down mm-hmm. here. And uh you know, the singing and all the rest of it. The speech itself was dictated over the phone by John Milius to, to Spielberg because uh, Spielberg needed, he knew he needed something here. And apparently the dictation was something like 10 pages and they worked with, with Shaw to winnow it down to, to what would become one of the all-time great speeches in, in cinema. Anyway, we delivered the bomb. Yes. There's that other, there's that allusion to World War II, direct, not even an illusion, a direct reference to, to World War II at the heart of the movie. Yeah. Uh, very curious. And then comparing the scars, and then there's this little moment where Brody looks at his um, appendix. Yeah. Right? He looks at his little uh, appendix scar, <laughs> which is great. And he's supposed to be the hard man, too. He's a cop. He's a police yeah. officer. He's no slouch, but you can't compare to these, these guys. You get the impression that Brody's had a drink. What do you think? I don't know that he has. I don't think Maybe so. He's, he's had a few. <laughs> yeah, he checks his, his <laughs> appendix. He's like, uh, what am I going to tell these guys? Yeah. I love that you're wearing a sweater. Yeah. <laughs> Mary Ellen Moffat, she broke my heart. <laughs> And these two, now these two respect each other, you know, as men of the, men of the yeah. sea. Yeah. I don't know how they can relax, frankly. Uh, yeah. And then he asks him about the, uh, the Indianapolis, the tattoo that he had removed. Well, and it's interesting how it's like, it's not a scar that he got from the Indianapolis. It is the, the thing, the memento of the Indianapolis is like, something that was supposed to be like a commemoration of it. And he's like trying to get rid of the memory of it as opposed to like a shark bite from surviving the ordeal. Yeah, that's a good point. That is adds adds a layer of complexity for sure. 
So I've got some information. I've got a quote from Spielberg about the speech. Uh, this is from scriptmag.com. I owe three people a lot for this speech. You've heard all this, but you've probably never heard it from me. There's a lot of apocryphal reporting about who did what on Jaws, and I've heard it for the last three decades. But the fact is, the speech was conceived by Howard Sackler, who is an uncredited writer, didn't want a credit and didn't arbitrate for one. But he's the guy that broke the back of the script before we ever got to Martha's Vineyard to shoot the movie. I hired later Carl Gottlieb to come onto the island, who was a friend of mine, to punch up the script. But Howard conceived of the Indianapolis speech. I had never heard of the Indianapolis before Howard, who wrote the script at the Bel Air Hotel. And I was with him a couple of uh, times a week reading pages and discussing them. Uh, Howard one day said, Quint needs some motivation to show all of us what made him the way he is. And I think it's the Indianapolis incident. I said, Howard, what's that? And he explained the whole incident of the Indianapolis uh, and the atomic bomb being delivered on its way back. It was sunk by a submarine and sharks surrounded the helpless sailors who had been cast adrift. And it was just a horrendous piece of World War II history. Howard didn't write a long speech. He probably wrote about three quarters of a page. But then when I showed the script to my friend, John Milius, John said, can I take a crack at this speech? And John wrote a 10 page monologue that was absolutely brilliant, but outsized for the jaws I was making, but it was brilliant. And then Robert Shaw took the speech and Robert did the cut down. Robert himself was a fine writer who had written the play, The Man in the Glass Booth. Robert took a crack at the speech and he brought it down to five pages. So that was sort of the evolution just of that speech. Talk about how art is made, man. Yeah. That's that's how it's done. Here we go. And and then the... the Incredible acting, because you can see... Like the anguish and like pain in his eyes. You say it's not an art film, Brad, but this this, this is is <laughs> this yeah. business under the boat here. This entire sequence is like a little play inside of the movie. Even the way that Brody is shot, where it's just his face. He looks and like he's, yeah, he's uh, off to the he side. Looks and... like a like a Godard movie. All of a sudden, he's in this like black turtleneck and <laughs> yeah. I wonder how many times they shot it to get this take. Ugh. What a wonderful moment. I love it. And there's he's definitely in his sort of New York sort of theater, sort of all that jazz <laughs> Bob Fosse style thing. Yep. Yep. <laughs> Yep. You boys keep it going. I'm gonna I'm gonna hit the yeah. head real quick before oh, yeah, uh, before yeah, Bruce yeah. comes back. Yeah. <clears throat> no, there's something too about the way that Shaw is kind of like he's definitely controlling this speech. He's got these moments where he's like almost smiling. Yeah. It's well, it's men- kind it's of like menacing. The, well, it's like the way you smile to sort of hide, you know, smile instead of crying because like. You can yeah. tell like the way his eyes and the way he says, anyway, we delivered the bomb. It's like him, right. like being, yeah. you know, it's like when something horrible happens to you and you just go, it is what it is. Kind right. Of thing. Right. Yeah. It's like, Oh, it all kind of worked out. Uh, yeah. 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 It's pretty... And the, and sort of when uh, Kevin was uh, talking about how like, you know, Spielberg didn't know about, the Indianapolis incident. And I can imagine that like 
1975, I'm sure, like, if you were, like, a nut about that stuff, you would know about it. But I'm sure to general audiences, like, this was their first exposure to this incident. Probably, And yeah. so it, like, sort of underlines the whole kind of, like, secret history element that I'm obsessed with. Yeah. No, I can, I can definitely see that. Right. Well, uh, not to be too cynical about it, but you want to talk about, and I think he plays this, this evil karma of having delivered this weapon of mass destruction only to be destroyed on the way back. And then yeah. to have nature itself, uh, murder you, kill you in the most horrific way. Uh, yeah. Anyway, we delivered the bomb. Yeah. You don't get away <laughs> from that karma, right? Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. And this, who doesn't love this? I'm tired and I want to go to bed. <laughs> I had a little drink about an hour ago. Come on. It's yeah. fantastic. Oh, that's great. It's that great. Is. Yeah, that scene is, that's yeah, one of the finest scenes in, uh, in cinema. Mm-hmm. Now, now it's happening. I don't think Brody's had a drink. I don't think he's drinking anymore. I think he stopped. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So who needs meetings when you have a shark? Yeah, <laughs> that's right. That's right. There's going to be a moment that comes up here where Quint, Quint smashes the radio. And it's, it's always been a, a, a bit of a cipher to me. Like, I believe it. I understand they need to do it mm-hmm. uh, for the film to work. Because otherwise, they could just do a mayday, and, yeah. and the the coast guard could come and find them. Uh, oh, and then when the lights go out, and then you have the they're just he ate well, the light. Terrific. Yeah. Uh, well, it might relate to that kind of karma thing that you're talking about, Kevin. Where it's like Quint's like, no, this actually is. I have this is my destiny coming at me, and so I have to deal with it. Right. Yeah. Like, that would be that would be my answer for sure. Yeah. It's the yeah. it's the one moment in the movie where you it's totally earned and I totally get it. But if you wanted to pick the the third act of this movie apart, here comes the shooting star. By the way, uh, and this really happened. I mean, it's not like built. Oh in wow! Right. Yeah, oh, I saw it. I saw. How it. amazing is that? Yeah. What are the odds? This movie that's, was that's touched, wild. man perfectly across the frame mm-hmm. very interesting there was oh man yeah i thought i saw something in the clouds on right there too but maybe not yeah well i think they were i think they were they had shooting stars during some of the filming yeah so i survived the night just barely <laughs> all right so these two boys uh again bonding right mm-hmm. they both know how to fix a ship <laughs> the movie is so propulsive it does not let up there is no, no fat on this film and of course you can thank the the Oscar winning editor. Uh, what was her name again, Jacob? Uh, it's either Verna Fields or Vera Fields. Okay. Let's look so it up and get it right. Because we, yeah. this movie is not, uh, does not exist without her. 
Oh, for sure. No, this is Verna. Verna Fields. Verna Fields. Shouts out. Yeah, this had to be. I mean, and what a job, too. And she was born in 1918 in St. Louis, Missouri. Wow. She must have been working with these kids. She she died in 1982. She didn't live long, uh, much wow. longer. Yeah. This buoy, I'm just thinking as it from a writing standpoint, the use. Wow. The use ah, of that is Bruce. Here he comes. <clears throat> yeah, the use of the buoy. The the barrel. It's brilliant. It just it makes yeah. it you know, indirect signs of the thing. It's great. Yeah, there's a lot to be learned from that. You could probably get into all kinds of, you know, pretentious theory cell, you know, the semiotics of how (laughs) the the shark is only signified by, like, the objects that, like, sort of impinge on it, and then it impinges on, you know, the world and stuff. Like, it doesn't exist as its own thing, at least until the ending when you finally see it. Yeah. No, I, uh, it's, uh, there is something interesting there, for sure. Well, he smashed the radio. You're certifiable, Quint. You know yeah. that? You're certifiable. <laughs> I, I believe Quint would do this. I do. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's the moment of, I suppose, impulsiveness. and But also, yeah. he doesn't. He he's probably too proud. He doesn't call for help. He doesn't right. call. He doesn't call Mayday. Right. Yeah. That speech becomes absolutely critical to his character. Yes. So they're going to keep uh, putting barrels on the shark. I'm going to read some from this. Uh, there's a Denna Geek article about kind of the nightmare of the shoot. Um, All right, there's a shark in the water. A man bellows through a megaphone, a hint of melancholy in his voice. He's been killing people. Legs have been bitten off, and there's blood all over the place. It's June 1974, and the water's freezing. Dozens of extras clad in trunks and bathing costumes are bobbing about just off the beach of Martha's Vineyard, Massachusetts, trying not to shiver. It may be summer, but the locals know that the water doesn't warm up until late in the season. The man holding the megaphone is a member of the production team putting together Jaws. For the then 26-year-old Steven Spielberg, Jaws is a decisive moment in his career, with the movie already starting to run over its originally planned $3.5 million budget. He knows that if the movie sinks, so does his future as a filmmaker. Uh... Jaws defined the high-concept Hollywood picture. It was the prototypical summer blockbuster, providing a hit during a season in which Hollywood traditionally released its weaker pictures. Uh, It prompted a generation of moviegoers to stare out at the sea with fear and distrust. Uh, But before all that, Spielberg had to get the wretched film in the can, all in the face of cantankerous feuding actors, malfunctioning props, sinking boats, and frantic script rewrites. (laughs) <laughs> but this is the point. I mean, and this yeah. this last little pit here. Incredibly, it was the movie's troubled production that would make it a classic. So it's just such a, an yeah. important thing to remember. Uh, let me see if I can find something else uh, here from this about maybe the actors. Uh, it's so exciting. They're they're putting the barrels in the yes. shark. Here comes yeah. Brody, and Brody tries to like shoot the shark. <laughs> like it's right. a, like it's like <laughs> that's gonna do anything. He's got like. <laughs> What do you think that is? I mean, ah, you know, I guess it can't, it can't hurt. Yeah. 
but again, from a writing script. With that moment, Brody's kind of been touched by the madness of Quint because earlier Quint tries to shoot the shark with his rifle and it's like seen as like an obviously insane gesture. And then, then Brody, you know, the allegedly sort of level headed one, like he then pulled, like he sort of caught in the mania of catching this fucking fish and he pulls out his, you know, like service revolver and tries to (laughs) knock it down. Right. 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 They've all been then, quintified. They have, they have. <laughs> but, but then that is reversed, of course, at the very end, because it is finally a shot that, that kills the shark. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so listen to this. Uh, I remember being on set for the first shark test, and it simply sank, producer David Brown said <laughs> in the making of Jaws. We thought our careers in motion picture... Uh, motion pictures had gone with it. Everything that could go wrong with the shark went wrong. The shark was frustrating, Spielberg concurred, in what may be one of the greatest understatements in the history of filmmaking. The problem, it seemed, was that everybody involved in the production of Jaws knew they had the makings of a great movie. Unfortunately, they had no idea how to make a great shark. The... uh, Joe Alves, the art director and effects designer, Bob Maddy, spent the best part of six months building three mechanical great whites, each destined to fulfill a specific function. One could be towed along for full frontal shots, while the other two were mounted on platforms and meant to be filmed from the left or right-hand side. That's wild. Yeah, oh, he, and wrong. this is really funny. Another little factoid. Spielberg named the shark Bruce, which was the name of his lawyer. <laughs> <laughs> Classic. <laughs> a shark in a suit. <laughs> All right, I got to go. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we got a taxi dermy man. He's going to have a heart attack. What do you see? What I brung him. Um, so listen to this. Before filming even began, Bruce tried to kill George Lucas. While visiting the Jaws effects shop one day, the future Star Wars director decided to place his head into the shark's maw only to become trapped when Spielberg and John Milius mischievously pressed a button and closed the jaws on him. Now jammed shut, the beast's mouth had to be prized back open to get Lucas's head back out. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. We nearly didn't get Star Wars. Right. Wow. But yeah, I mean, and, and then of course, because Bruce was such a mess, Spielberg had to improvise. And that's why we right. get the movie that we, that we have. Ooh. And it is a case of less is more. Uh, and that's certainly not seeing the monster as so much until the very end just makes such a huge difference. Hmm. I mean, this is some real filmmaking too. My God. Yeah. There's some real, there's some real risk okay. here too. Whatever they're doing, this is not for the faint of heart. No. Well, and 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 the suspense, this the suspense building is great here. It's just little things keep going wrong. You know, they kind of snowball. All right, so Robert Shaw didn't like Richard Dreyfus. So as if working on a film with an unfinished script and an unreliable uh, shark wasn't enough, Spielberg also had his actors to contend with. 
Reflecting their characters on screen enmity, Robert Shaw and Richard Dreyfuss were frequently at loggerheads. Roy Scheider once descri- described a typical barbed comment from Shaw, who appeared to be irked by his younger co-star. Shaw would say, look at you, Dreyfus. You eat and you drink and you're fat and you're sloppy. At your age, it's criminal. Why, you couldn't even do 10 push-ups. <laughs> um, and then Dreyfus about this said, Shaw was a perfect gentleman whenever he was sober. All he needed was one drink, and then he turned into a competitive son of a bitch. (laughs) And Spielberg said, Robert would basically humiliate Richard into taking a chance. For instance, Robert Robert would say, I'll give you a hundred bucks if you climb up to the top of the mast on the Orca and jump it off into the water. Wow. But yeah, Spielberg saying, he's saying it got ugly, but it ended up helping the, the film. Well, you know, Spielberg at 26 years old probably could use a sort of domineering influence out there to kind of keep the troops in line a little bit and sort of indirectly. Probably not uh, incorrect. Yeah, you know, just like if he's Oof. on your side. The yeah, shoot it's reached- a bad cop to the good cop. Right, kind of right, mm-hmm. yeah. The shoot yeah. reached its depressing nadir when, while filming a final act scene where the shark is harpooned with barrels to slow it down, the orca's hull was accidentally ruptured. With the orca rapidly sinking, Spielberg called out, get the actors off the boat. Yeah. Disgruntled sound engineer John Carter yelled back, fuck the actors, save the sound department. <laughs> <laughs> so this was not, yeah, this was not easy. Yeah. See, I feel like they, you know, they have that show, what is it, The Offer, that's about, like, the making of The Godfather. They should Mm. do, and I know they've done documentaries about the making of Jaws, but they should do, like, a dramatic series about the making of Jaws. That could be very cool. Yeah. That could be very cool. I definitely want to, like, more of Shaw, even as if he's just a character, you know, even if it's not really him. He's... It's compelling. I love when he says, don't put too much pressure on it, but then he puts more pressure on it. (laughs) Classic. When the shoot wrapped, Spielberg didn't stick around for the wrap party because he was worried they would chuck him into the ocean. (laughs) (laughs) He said, his final words were, I shall not return. (laughs) 159 days. That's half a year of your life. Yeah out there yeah when it should have been a third of that right you have other stuff going on right you're you're supposed to be in this play or you're supposed to do this other movie and yeah i mean and and when you can feel it coming over in the acting i think yeah they're getting punchy right like Mm -hmm. yeah it works oh man he pushes the boat too hard Mm mm-hmm Oh, it all happens so fast. It all the yeah. wheels come off so fast for uh for the orca. There's that great oh. moment where he uh he hands the boys uh life uh, jackets here coming up, but he he doesn't wear one. Mm-hmm. Cuz they'll never wear one again. Three barrels. Oh, there's a continuity error where the cleats that the shark pulls off the boat reappear. Oh, they're back on. 
There's quite a few plates. quite a few continu- continuity errors, which doesn't surprise me given the nature of what happened. Oh, it's so chaotic. I mean, well, yeah. I, and I think the amount of footage that she had to work through. Yeah. Uh, I wonder if they noticed them and just said, oh, "We got to work with it. What are we going to yeah. do? Airbrush them out?" I mean, right. forget about it. Yeah. See, here's where he knows he's kind of been beaten in a funny way. Yeah, the boats, the boats handicapped now. Yeah, or disabled entirely. Really, so it's almost like is it his own madness is coming back to him? Like he's is he just waking up to reality? Like oof, he thought he could beat the shark, but the shark uh, seems to have uh, destroyed his boat. Yeah, he's got his jacket and his hat on, like he's gonna go somewhere. No. <laughs> Now he has yeah. to finally concede that Hooper's equipment might be able to do something. It's mm-hmm. their last chance. And then this is where all the footage from the uh, the Australian uh, second unit comes into play, where you see you do briefly see real sharks. Oh, okay, okay, yeah. And they they had a tank that was or a um, a cage that was half the size. And of the the one on the set, and then a cage that was three fifths of the size, and they hired a really tiny stunt man to yeah. go into the cage um, to get the footage, and then that's what I described earlier, where the shark actually tore the cage to pieces, but yeah. nobody was in it, and so that's apparently the reason Hooper survives at the end. I love that detail. That's that's great. That syringe, an enormous syringe. There's a moment here too of just like pure human. Like at this point now, they're trying to survive as much as kill the shark. Right, Mm -hmm. right. It's it stopped being about killing the shark to save the town. It's like it's their own skins here. Yeah, the boat is sinking. I mean, and I love uh, the soundtrack. This is not commented on enough because the the sharks theme is so um, dominant. But just the use of like kind of sea shanties and yeah, just this yeah. vibe yeah. of just this vibe of like and and you don't even know like how do you know they're sea shanties? How you don't? It just sounds like it. It sounds kind of vaguely like music a pirate would listen to, <laughs> and you just know it. Because you know it, like, yeah. I guess, because of you know years of cultural conditioning. But oh, I mean, John, John yeah, Williams is a is a master. He's, he's about to retire, track. supposedly. Whatever the next movie is, is supposed to be the last John Williams score. Mm. There's probably not been a greater career in Hollywood. Full stop. For anything, I mean, yeah, he just did it you know every year there's it seems like every year there's a movie or two with the john williams score try and imagine this without the score or star wars without the score it's all it's impossible it's like the soundtrack of life in a lot of ways i ain't got no spit and it gets mm-hmm. lowered down yeah the the stuntman nearly died uh because he got startled at one point by a shark in oh, australia God. And so now we're in, now we're in, this is some of the Australia footage. I'm, I'm sure of it. Yeah. And so they have a, they have a smaller cage. And a little, uh, and a little guy. And a little guy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and some of it's going to be, going to be, uh, Dreyfus, but some of it's going to be the, um, 
you know, the little guy. Yeah. And, um, oh my God, what a nightmare. <laughs> the shark's coming at him and, the, you know, and he's in this cage. Yeah. But the little guy uh, down in Australia yeah, nearly, nearly died because he, he forgot how to clear his, um, whatever the breathing apparatus is. Oh boy. And, um, they, they had to pull him up. Jeez. And so that's a real shark there, of course, right? That's not, yeah. Bruce. No, He's, this is real footage. I think it cost them. I can't remember, but it was some hundreds of thousands of dollars to, to do the second unit footage just for these few shots. But it's kind of hard to imagine the film without them. No, you need them. It's the monsters revealed. Now we're in the final ordeal, you know? Well, and there's just enough reality from that footage to help you kind of suspend your disbelief slightly. Of course, by the time, I mean, oof. yeah, I mean, that was definitely Bruce. Yeah. That's a real shark. Mm-hmm. And you, you can tell. Yeah. The way it yeah. swims. Yeah. That's yeah. a real shark. Yeah. But it's enough and, and it's, it's edited so well. And he told these two, you know, the shots that he wanted and they did the best that they could down there. Yeah, uh, to get them. Feel feel bad for that stunt man. Oh man, <laughs> the, the story the story goes that you know they asked him, "Can you do you know how to dive?" And he yeah. said, "Yes." The way that you the way that an actor would in Hollywood, right? Like, yeah, of course. Yeah, and then because yeah. you, you figure you can learn, yeah. just get the job and then worry about it later. <laughs> right, but yeah, this so, isn't like you can know, you drive stick. This is yeah, like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, so a few, so like a few weeks later, he's quite literally in a, a shark tiny cage. shark cage built for him, you know, <laughs> swimming with great white sharks. How great is, I mean, talk about how great Bruce is here though. The, the shark. Yeah. Like the mechanical shark. Really yeah. like a monster. Yeah. Oh, uh, it's uh, just pure, so pure good. horror. Yeah. And then Hooper swims down and hides. And then this really happened. That's real footage, of course, of a shark actually tearing apart the cage in That's Australia. That's wild. And there was nobody in the cage, so they had to... Oh. You want to talk about... I mean, this is this editing job there, that passage, I mean, that's staggering. Look at that. Again, just these weird, happy accidents to create whatever whatever jaws yeah. ends up being yeah and all these little details about the boat falling apart yeah Ugh, that thing is terrifying <laughs> yeah you yeah yeah i don't uh yeah uh. <laughs> this film terrified me so much as a child that i I was afraid of uh, the pool. Yeah, me too. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which, of course, is totally irrational. Oh, yeah. Uh, but well, I, had al- I always thought, like, you know, like, when I was little, that, like, you know, the flapper that pools have, that, like, that sort of clean the thing? Like, mm. I always, like, I would was afraid that, like, a shark would swim out of those. Right, right. Yeah. I mean, why not? Yeah. Shark seems to swim out of everything. <laughs> It really, I really can't overstate the oh, the hold this film had on my imagination as a child. Oh man, Quint's not gonna make it. <laughs>
No. And this scene is so brutal. Like it all really like is. the blood just coming out of his mouth. Ugh. Ugh. Gruesome. Gnarly ah. Uh and then of course the uh, the the horror that this is a man who survived the Indianapolis business only to go this way. Right. Right. Yeah. And he's fighting to the last, though. He's got that machete. You yeah. Know? He, oh. Uh, he's gone, though, and he That's knows it. it. And now it's and all that blood still like on the water on the right. deck. Right. Oh. With the can of Narragansett. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, man. I love this movie. <laughs> like doll eyes. Yep. I shove that in there. Yeah, shark teeth have shreds of quint on them. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, right. Yep, I do. Yep. Yep. Oh man. <laughs> Gourmand. <laughs> I mean, and he what is he left with? And I, I'm gonna get ahead of that final line. Smile, you son of a bitch. Yeah. And I think it's such a perfect line because it's Brody played that game all along the first act into the second act where, you know, he's, he's when they, when they capture the tiger shark or they kill the, the tiger shark, he poses, right. And smiles yeah. for the camera. Yeah. And he, and he just goes along with what the mayor says mm-hmm. and he just, just smile and just do what you're, you know what I mean? And just, yeah, that's a good just go along with it. Yeah. And it's like, he's totally doubled with the shark and I don't know. I just, I love it. Yeah. And it's yeah, like, yeah. it's also, what do you do? It's you smile for the camera, right? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so there's like a film metaphor in it. And oh, even yeah. if it's unintentional, I think it's great. God. And listen, people talk, talk shit about like, ah, oh, the shark, it doesn't look real, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, oh, I don't care. Bro, I'm totally bought in at this point. I, yeah. I yeah, believe exactly. this, thing, uh, this thing is a killing machine that wants to kill Brody, who I really yeah. like now. Yeah. yeah, it's more. Yeah. It's and it's like yeah, it's like not even a shark. It's like you know, again, it's like a monster. It's like a biblical biblical leviathan. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't have to be a realistic oh, animal. Fits. Yeah, one of the greatest endings in in movies. Oh, and as this thing sinking and and, oh. and look, do you think he makes this shot if he isn't sober? No, no, that's true. He's sobered up. Yeah. Ah. Uh, I almost can't stand it. <laughs> oh, yeah. Come on. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You, you don't even hear the word. Smile, you son of a. Yeah. Yep. And the shark's dead. Yep. Got him. <sighs> my heart is racing. I've seen yeah. this movie 50 times. And well, that's my heart actually. Is Kind of Racing. a gory, gorily beautiful shot, though. The Jaws carcass sinking, you know, and hemorrhaging. Yeah, and the music is like this twinkly kind of yeah. thing. You see type. Yeah. And you see the, the fin. The fin. Yeah. Only to it. I'm sure that'll only attract more sharks. <laughs> <laughs> I always have that thought. <laughs> well, that's how, that's how Jaws 2 got made. Yeah, yeah they all the sharks just convene. Yeah. Swim away quickly. 
Yeah, he just pops. Yep, yep. Uber just pops back up. And well, he doesn't miss. have to say anything. He just says, "Quint, no." And then they get to, they yeah. get to they're swimming toward the shore, and he says, "I used to hate the water. I can't imagine why." <laughs> <laughs> Talk about understatement. <laughs> yep. Yep. Well, we're gonna get ready to do another thirty yep. minutes where we're gonna recap our Jaws watch party with Jacob Everett of the Apocalypse Confidential. Uh, where can people find that? What's the URL for that, Jacob? Uh, it is apocalypse-confidential.com. Right on, right on. And where and can we're people on find twi- you? Yeah, go we're ahead. We're on Twitter at, you know, all, uh, I don't think it matter. Maybe it does matter if it's all uppercase, but apoccon underscore mag on Twitter. And then on Twitter also, I am blower underscore geist. Mm-hmm. And I can't emphasize, I'm, I'm dead serious. Apocalypse Confidential is like the coolest thing happening right now in sort of indie literature. So I'm, I'm stoked about what Thank you Thank you very much. Yeah. Well, boys, they kill the shark. They swim yeah. to, to the shore. And there's and that beautiful missed. 70s font again. Oh, yeah. There we go. We get to see it. One more time. Love that. Time. Love that font. Yeah. <laughs> What an incredible film. What a joy to watch with you with you guys. And yeah, we're gonna we're gonna chat a little more. You can get the After Dark episodes by subscribing to our Patreon. We hope you do. It's at patreon.com slash art of dark pod. And uh, you know, if you do, you might not need a bigger boat. You might not. No. Maybe right. we can get a bigger boat, Kevin. <laughs> yeah, subscribe to the Patreon <laughs> yeah. so we can get a, a bigger boat. Yeah. All right. All right. <laughs> Beautiful. All right. We'll see you on the After Dark. Dude.